Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 71 of the Retrospectors podcast, Pathologic. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, it's only been a few months, but we return to the survival horror genre once more, although this is a different brand of survival horror horror that we're used to. Survival horror or walking simulator, Patrick? I'm not quite sure which one this is closer to, but uh, it is definitely... Uh, a big departure from the likes of Resident Evil 1, I will say. Yeah, this is, a, this is a game that I've kind of been tentatively interested in for a very long time. It's the kind of game people say, you know, it's the worst game I've ever played, but also one of the best. And we haven't really covered a Slav game properly, so I was very excited to uh, to try it out. And then as the hours went on, I became gradually less excited to play it. But <laughs> that's that's something that I'm sure we'll get into discussing further. Had you, had you heard about this game before we played it, James? Uh, I basically viewed Pathologic as that weird Russian game. I had no idea... Uh, what it was about at all other than people um, I knew had played it and enjoyed it um, like I didn't even know the main conceit of the game going into it so every single twist that I don't even think was supposed to be a twist on like day one was a surprise for me so you know uh, this was basically a completely blind playthrough for me it was mostly blind for me I had read the famous rock paper shotgun uh, art series of articles on it that were published way back in I don't know 2008 or something uh, and I'd read the Pathologic 2 review uh, so I had a vague idea of what I was dealing with but I certainly was not prepared for the reality of playing through it uh, you know at first you think it's just a pretty standard survival game which we're which we're pretty used to nowadays you know ever since Minecraft survival games with managing bars has become a regular thing that you that you expect but uh this was this was something else um so for those who've never listened to us before james and i make up the retrospectives podcast each and every fortnight we play through classic games of the past with the intention of reviewing and discussing them from a modern perspective this is not a nostalgia podcast and that's really the main thing i want to get across today we're not here to review and discuss these games in the context in which they are produced we simply want to know, are they worth your time to play today? And we want to relate to our experiences playing it as, as modern gamers. So Pathologic, uh, it was released in 2005 for Windows, for PC, uh, developed by Ice Pick Lodge, which is a Russian studio. Uh, a remaster of the game, Pathologic Classic HD, was released in 2015, and that featured new graphics, bug fixes, and re was retranslated with new voice acting. The gameplay, however, was pretty much left identical. And this is the version we played. We didn't play Pathologic 2005, we played Classic HD. And once again, the most notable change is the translation and voice acting. Um, and there are some people who argue that the original translation is actually better, uh, although there's very few people who argue that the original voice acting is. That being said, it's mostly the same game. The basic premise of the story is that it's about a town that is succumbing to a fast-spreading and deadly disease. 
So you have three characters to pick from to experience that story in that town, one of which is locked until you complete uh, the first one of the first two. So the first character is the out-of-town bachelor, who is a rationalist doctor pursuing a cure for death, um, and that's who James played for his playthrough. Um, I played as the Harrowspex, who's a medicine man with surgeon training, who returns to his hometown after receiving a letter um, from his father, only to be accused of murdering that father. Uh, the final character is a changeling, a child who is viewed as a healer and demon or both. And hers is more of a meta playthrough and is definitely meant to be experienced after playing one of the first two. So James and I, when we played through this game, we we Pathologic's like a long game. Each playthrough is 20 to 25 hours, depending on, you know, how much you're forced to reload and how much you struggle. So we figured it would be best if we played a different character and then we're able to share our experiences of those different characters on the show. And then maybe we can put together a picture of what actually happened and why. Um, it's a bit unusual, me playing the Harrowspecs, but we figured it was better than both playing the same character and having a good chunk of the story locked off to us. I'm curious about this because I'm sure that it is so much better to play The Bachelor on your first playthrough. I feel like because the the setup is that The Bachelor is a newcomer to the town. So when you talk to people, everybody feels like they need to explain things to you. Whereas your character, you know, a native of the town, I feel like they just gloss over all of that stuff, right? Like you had to... You you were telling me you had to go and look up some stuff after your playthrough because it didn't quite click with you? Yeah, I kind of uh, wanted to make sense of some things, and that's definitely what happened. There are aspects of the town which are very unusual, and you're like, what the hell is even going on? How is this a real place? And no one explains that to you at all. You don't even ask the question about those things. Um, that being said, the Harrowspex does get a very hostile welcome when he first gets to town. There are people who are very opposed to him being there. Not everyone. It's it's kind of like a factional dispute. And you're often given the option to ask questions and then the characters will say, stop making fun of me. It's obviously X. So it does give you a little bit of room to ask questions and try and figure things out. But overall, you are probably right. The Bachelor is, you know, almost always going to be the best way to play the game first. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Yeah, it's also that the horror specs is just the harder way to play the game, mm -hmm. I think. Because the Bachelor starts the game with maxed out reputation. And reputation is very important in this game. Because I think your character starts out with, like, nothing. Zero. And in this, yep. Zero, yeah. And if you're just walking around on the street, people will just start attacking you if you have zero reputation. So, yeah, I, I think that you're definitely meant to start with the Bachelor's route first. I would absolutely recommend doing that. Um, I would just wonder if Patrick had a worse experience because of doing that first, to be honest. I would, um, I'd categorize it as... Uh, the Harrowspecs having like abrupt difficulty spikes. Like there are several moments throughout the game where you're like, why is this game as hard as it is? But I think that once you get your head around what you need to do to survive, that it probably kind of balances out a bit. But yeah, there's a couple of moments throughout the game <laughs> where it really puts you through the ringer. And uh, 
Yeah, I, I agree with you, James. The, the game is designed to have play the Bachelor first. I don't really know why it gives you the option to play them out of order. Um, that's the basic setup. Um, we'll get into more story discussion in a moment. Uh, I will say that when we do go into the story discussion, we're going to attempt to keep it mostly spoiler free it's going to be impossible to avoid spoilers altogether but we'll try to stay away from the major plot reveals um although we will go over more some more of the mundane plot details that arise just kind of naturally so if you want a completely spoiler free discussion just um skip the very final part of the cast where we'll go into a full spoiler discussion um before we do that just to give you a very brief idea of mechanically what you're doing in the game um it's a survival game your primary goal before anything else is just to stay alive um and you do that by managing survival bars things like health hunger exhaustion and your infection level um so you have to be getting these bars in control you know eating food to keep your hunger down um sleeping to stave off exhaustion and often filling up one bar or helping one gut bar is going to hurt the others. So, so number one goal, survive, and it's a survival survival game. The next thing, your primary goal, is to protect your adherents from succumbing to disease by completing the main quest of each day. Each and every day you'll have a main quest. Um, James's and I's were completely different. We're on different storylines. And if you do not achieve the goals of your main quest... One of your adherents gets the plague and you need to cure them with an incredibly rare item if you want to see the good ending to the game. Um, so yeah, that's that's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to survive and you're trying to achieve your main quest. And you're trying to survive while achieving your main quest, which is often easier said than done. So yeah, that's the, that's the basic setup. We'll dive deep into mechanics shortly, but I think the best place to start is the story and the narrative that takes place. The main thing that strikes me about Pathologic Story is that many games try to write this narrative where the main character is the most important person in the entire world and everything that happens in the game in the world revolves around the main character. Pathologic isn't like that at all in my experience. It feels like the writers wrote a town filled with, you know, hundreds of years of history and then, you know, made wrote all of these characters and then threw them, you know, into the world and then just looked where the pieces lie. Your character isn't the main character, you know, quotation marks of the story. He is a character in a story, one of three playable characters in the story, all who have, you know, a very different experience um, over the 12 days of Pathologic Story. And something that, you know, we haven't really... Uh, encountered a story too much like this on the show before and I've honestly found it to be really cool how the story was more concerned with creating a believable world than you know uh, a really cool video game story for the main character to take part in. The storytelling in this game um, is magnificent and quite unlike anything I've ever encountered. Like James said uh, you kind of just get dropped in the middle of it with no context or explanation for what's going on and maybe that was particularly true because i was playing as the harris specs but for the first half of my playthrough i was very <laughs> confused as to what was going on and only as the story continued did i re begin to realize the degree to which i was being manipulated 
um, the political conflict between all the different leaders in the city and how people were lying to me left, right, and center to achieve their goals. Uh, it's quite cool. The way the storytelling works is that um, in my story as the Harrisbecks, I encountered the Bachelor and he was going about trying to achieve his goals while I was going about trying to achieve mine. And for James, it was exactly the same thing. So a lot of the stuff that The Bachelor was interacting with and dealing with is something that I, as the Harrisbecks, had basically no exposure to. And it was only after doing some reading after the show that I grew a, be grew a better understanding of what was actually going on because The Bachelor's... Uh, actions in my game seemed really bizarre, but now I think I'm starting to understand. So this very limited information you get um, is a really interesting way to tell a story, something I love in um, in my fiction novels, but something I haven't properly encountered in any game I've played to this degree. Yeah, it's really cool. My, my absolute favorite part of the narrative is the fact that characters lie to you all the fucking time and they manipulate you the the quest design in this game i wouldn't say it's quite as freeform like an open-ended as something like a deus ex game for example um but quests in this game can go a bunch of different ways like depending on how you do them um and you can manipulate the townsfolk just as much back like Something like on day two, I had this quest where this lady who was starting a shelter um, told me that she had been approached by all of the, you know, the rich and, you know, the rich people in the town. Um, and she had asked them for donations to start this shelter for the sick people. And she told me that they agreed and that I was to go to each of the rich people and collect the donations and then bring it back to her. So what I did was... I went to, you know, each of these people, took their money, and then I just stopped progressing the quest. I just kept the money. And then the next day I woke up and I had a letter come to the house from this very upset NPC whose money I stole, right? Like, there's this, like, degree of reactivity and manipulation that takes place between, you know, your character and the NPCs. Um, and I really enjoyed that in this game. Yeah, I think that's... that. Uh, degree of control you get is a really good point because one of the problems I had with Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines when we covered it was you were also a pawn being manipulated in that game but it gave you very little agency to actually do your own thing but in this game multiple times if you play your conversation tree options right you can manipulate someone else like uh, I was in a spot where I had to um, find the, I mean, it's going to sound a bit silly, but I had to find the ending to a story. Uh, and because the there was a girl and she really wanted to know the ending to a story, uh, <laughs> but if she didn't get to hear the ending that someone else was telling, she wouldn't do me a favor. So I went and spoke to the person who uh, who was telling the story. And instead of telling her that this person wanted it, I said, oh yeah, I was speaking to some people and they said the story was really funny. Uh, but I can't remember which part was funny. And then she, you know, tells you the end of the story. But I bet that if I just told her, she probably would have told me to get stuffed and I would have failed that quest. Yeah. So uh, it, it, it empowers you to do a little bit of manipulation on on your own. The, the dialogue trees in this game are probably straight up just my favorite in any game. Um, 
Something that I think we've lost over the years is really, really complex dialogue trees. And I think a big part of this is the rise of voice acting. Um, you see it when we come into the later Fallout games, for example, like Fallout 4 in particular, because every line that your character has is voiced. Uh, there's a, a much limited, more limited amount in this. In Pathologic, you can respond with entire paragraphs at times, right? And there's like really intricate conversations between a lot of the characters. Honestly, talking to the smarter characters in the in the game, I got lost a lot. Like, they are just talking about things that are above me a lot of the time. I felt like sometimes the dialogue became... I wouldn't say smart, but some of the dialogue gets very flowery in this game, and I found it hard to follow at times, particularly with Yulia, for example, um, who is... All of the characters in this game are kind of contradictions of themselves in some way. Like, they're, they're, they're very flawed characters, which is great. And Yulia, because The Bachelor is a very, you know, scientifically-minded character, and he winds up in this town that's extremely superstitious and has all of these weird cultural and religious beliefs, and he, he cares about none of that. So he, he talks to a bunch of people, and... Uh, they tell him about this character, Yulia, who is apparently quite brainy. Um, and you're like, oh, thank God, there's another voice of reason in this town amongst all these idiots. And then you start talking to her and she starts talking about, you know, like, you know, all of this philosophical stuff. And then <laughs> she starts talking about how much of a fatalist she is. And from that point, the Bachelor's dialogue is like, oh, no, you were supposed to be, like, smart as well. What's going on? I, I, um... I really enjoyed the dialogue here. It's they don't hold themselves back, which I think is really important. They just go for it. They have, you know, these huge sprawling dialogue trees with huge responses and it's just really cool. Yeah, my experience with the Harrowspecs is quite interesting because whereas the Bachelor is a, you know, a man of reason, the Harrowspecs is very much a spiritual medicine man. He, um, <laughs> you know, he's he's a menku. He's one of the people who can cut up bodies and everything. He can read the lines. Yeah, he can read lines. You know, he's he's uh, given a lot of respect. And at first, because me as a person, like as as a person outside the game, like I'm a you know rationalist, uh, scientific approach that that's who i more identify with i was kind of probably not the best person to immediately start as a harrispex because i was kind of like what is this nonsense but the more i played through this character's playthrough and the more i actually began to understand what the things that people were talking about actually meant because when you first hear these philosophical stuff you've got no idea what they're talking about yeah. it's it's just nonsense it's... however i have to say by the end of my playthrough i was converted in in this world these people and the things they're saying it's kind of like a secret language and by the end of the harrispex's playthrough you understand the secret language and you understand all of these things that they said that were first at first meaningless. So I commend the writing for getting me in the mind space of the Harrispex, which is a mind space that, you know, I uh, never usually occupy. And it's cheating a bit because instead of it actually being nonsense, it's real. But that doesn't change the fact that the 
way in which they speak felt very justified to me by the end of the story. It um it reminded me of the first time I read A Clockwork Orange, to be honest. Like, the start of that book is just complete gibberish until you clue in to the way that the characters speak, and then eventually everything makes complete sense. You know, they just have this really weird, peculiar way of talking that's, you know, very metaphorical and very, you know, steeped in this hundred-year-old culture or whatever. Um, all of the characters in this game are like that, and they're all such a huge riddle at first. Can, can I ask you something, James? What, who were the characters you were interacting with? Because I had my main quest, but I would say, the you know, outside of that, the majority of my interactions came with my adherents, who were the, all, all the children. children. <laughs> yeah, so 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 that was that was how I interacted with a lot of the side quests and main quests. Were, were you... Did, did you talk to the children a lot or did you have your or were were you interacting with different characters yeah so each of the three playable characters has a list of npcs that are very important to them and they're the ones you have to keep alive for the whole 12 days of the plague uh patrick your character the horror specs strongly believes in like leaving the legacy of the town to the children i believe so all your characters were the children it's about following in your father's footsteps and your father had a i guess a responsibility to look after the children so you've taken that responsibility upon yourself i gotta be honest like after i finished my playthrough i went onto the wiki and i had a look at you know who each character's um adherents were or like who they're bound were um, and mm. I saw that your characters were all kids, and I just cracked yeah. up laughing. <laughs> was like, really? Yeah, I was like, I you mean, hate children. <laughs> no, I mean, if you're if you're a doctor, like the the most the most just thing you can do in this town is protect the children. So I don't know. I found it very fitting, and also I would say that these children did not act, act like, like children, children at all no <laughs> at all yeah they they had a sense of innocence to them but intelligence level wise they were adults uh the bachelor comments multiple times through the story that all the kids are strangely adult like they all talk mm. like i don't know they all talk like university professors <laughs> it's like it's kind <laughs> of insane um but yeah, no. My, so the list of my bound was um, the Canes um, were my three main ones. Uh, those are the people who are near the cathedral, right? Yes. The town is split into three segments, each of which is ruled by a different family. And those segments are the segments that the bound is split into mostly, because you were you were in the middle with the Oglimskis, right? Yeah, I'm just trying to think if yeah, I, I guess the children are a bit more spread out than that. Like you've got Grace near the cemetery. Near the cemetery, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're a, a good number of the children are in that middle section. Yeah, so I had the the Canes, who are one of the three ruling families of the town, and they are they're like in the upper class area of the town but they're they're all intelligent but very very superstitious at the same time like they all believe in reincarnation and all sorts of weird stuff like that um and then my other two were the stamerton twins um the guy who owns the pub and then the artist yep. um and then there was eva Yan, who i stayed with 
Yeah, she wasn't very interested in speaking to me as the Harris specs. Yeah, so it's interesting because I got bits of dialogue from these people, like I spoke to the judge a little bit. Yeah, but really the the narrative that I enjoyed was focused around a completely different set of characters. So I, uh, the things I learned were obviously very different to the things you were learning. Yeah, I... I feel like I spoke with most of the characters in the game. I didn't talk to Notkin at all, mm-hmm. so I can't really talk about that. Um, but I thought it was really interesting how the char- the way the characters interact with you is just completely different based on who you're playing, right? Like, um, I played the first three days of the third character's playthrough, and, you know, when I spoke to Andre Stamatin, who to the bachelor was very friendly and affable the whole time uh he just spoke down to the third character like they were dog shit immediately it was really funny um oh he's the one who wants to kill the harris specs so uh, absolutely like does it, he? it's i didn't yeah, know that at all and, and and once again from a storytelling perspective this is very interesting right like it's you you get an incomplete picture of these characters and their interactions, and it's only on subsequent playthroughs that you really start putting together the full picture. Yeah. So, I I love this. This is when when people say Pathologic is an important game and one that should be experienced or talked about. I think that that is most true for the narrative and its storytelling. Uh, it's it's just it's just a wonderfully unique way to do storytelling. Yeah, and to be honest, when I like I went back through the list of games we've played on the show while I was writing my notes for this episode, I have a hard time coming up with another game that rivals this kind of character writing. Uh Vampire. Vampire is the one that comes to mind. It's it's a different style, of course, but um yeah. I, I think that specifically the characterization is just as good is about as good yeah i think this yeah the the interwoven story is nowhere on its level though yeah and something that i'm really partial to in stories is the narrative of just being a person thrust into a really weird town that has a really weird culture and you having like everybody acting just so strange to begin with i love that like i really like that um story premise so going around and talking to every single character and trying to work out exactly what makes the town tick that was so much fun for me like i loved reading like every little bit of dialogue like because the town has history it's like i feel like this is one of those stories where the the writers wrote like twice as much as what's actually in the game because everything you know makes sense and fits into place within the narrative it's so funny you say that because as the harris specs that shit isn't explained to you. <laughs> you I, but but I just kind of had to piece well, it together myself. To and well, my understanding is that the it seems like there was a it was once a traditional step kind of village where there were probably roaming nomads worship worshiping bulls. But then industrialization happened. And uh, as you can see in the city, there's like different districts where you have the butchers and, you know, all these different factions responsible for different, you know, jobs in the cattle slaughtering and export process. But they kept all of their shamanistic beliefs 
instead of them being swallowed up as they normally are with industrialization. So it was interesting that, I mean, I, I think that probably having the option to understand these things in detail would have been nice, but even without it, you still feel the richness of the history as you're as you're playing the Harris spec. So I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I just had to um I just had less detail. Yeah. Did you learn about um, you know, stuff like the crops, like in summer when it heats up, the like the vapors from the twern plant start spreading through the town and everyone gets really lightheaded and even weirder than usual. No, I, di- I didn't hear yeah, about so- that at all. I bet, but I was the Harrowspecs is intimately involved in the um, in the twern harvesting process. So you, um, as part of what one of yeah, the things the Harrowspecs can that, do, right? what the Harrowspecs part of one of the things he can do is he can harvest herbs and then he can combine herbs together to um, create uh, immunization potions, which he can then combined with another ingredient to make a panacea and you can trade using blood with these people to get more herbs so i i guess i was exposed with different aspect to it just yeah not, i, not I as saw much as none the background of that lore. i i didn't yeah. see a single part of that in my playthrough um and like stuff but i didn't know that y- detail yeah. yeah like the twin plant yeah it heats up and like during the period that the game takes place in even uh, all the characters are suffering from being exposed to that constantly so a lot of the weirdness is kind of exacerbated by everyone being high the whole game uh, mm, interesting yeah <laughs> it's very very peculiar patrick how did you feel about the atmosphere of this game as we probably lead into our first music break uh well i think that the atmosphere of this game uh is incredible uh at first once again th- this is a common thing with this game i think that atmosphere and story-wise you can bounce off it a bit because it's kind of you know 2005 era graphics the fact that it's in hd don't change the fact that it kind of looks like a shitty take on on the elder scrolls morrowind but instead of having weird alien you know flora and fauna it's mostly just an endless succession of buildings but the more you play the more you get sucked into its sense of time and place because it doesn't feel quite like a real place it's in uncanny valley there are weird things that don't make sense and the music is just incredibly ominous so um wonderful atmosphere that's only reinforced by the gameplay mechanics yeah something that before we go to that music break that i think the game does really well and something that i love um in stories is that they constantly walk this like little tightrope between everything being completely logical and there being potential supernatural elements in the game world um and throughout a lot of the playthrough the bachelor is very unsure of what's actually going on because the characters like every character in the town is convinced that there's something supernatural going on to do with the plague um and all other sorts of conspiracy theories that all you know it's not like there's one conspiracy theory it's like there's five conspiracy theories and each of the five conspiracy theories is referred to in a different way by every character it's like they have you know, 10 names for everything. So it's very hard to keep track of what people are talking about, even though, you know, by the end it makes sense to you. Um, And I think this is really 
I think this plays into this atmosphere that Patrick's talking about really well, because the music is very unnerving right like there's like weird vocal elements uh, and weird you know electro and then you know i'll play some for you in a moment but it's bizarre i think that uh something that really throws you off is that there's no definite time period that this is set in yeah uh the architecture in particular is all over the place you've got things that look like prison blocks you've got things that look like gothic architecture then you've got like huge caves and of course there are some gravity defying buildings sprinkled throughout it's huge mega it makes you feel yeah yeah it, it makes you feel uneasy because it's almost real like you could almost believe it's a real place as you're walking through the city square with some fences around a park but then you see this weird structure that doesn't seem to have any possible purpose sticking out of the ground and and you you immediately feel disorientated so yeah it does a really good job making you feel uneasy and not at home i don't know if this was intentional but this game has a really low draw distance and that made me feel disorientated mm. um, for the first like four days or so until i got my bearings um so i agree with patrick i think the atmosphere in this game is actually fantastic um it's very bleak this is a very grim game like the whole game is just like miserable um from start to finish and it plays off that really well i think the atmosphere is just brilliant to be honest from start to finish um so what i'm gonna do i'm gonna play one of the weirder tracks for you guys this is one of my favorites so in game um each of the districts has its own theme which gets modified you know at night and if there is an infection in the local area. So I'm going to play for you the infected version of the most main district, um, and you can kind of hear those weird vocals kicking in there. So here it is.
So that was the infected version of Most Main. Patrick, I really like the music in this game. It's so strange and it kind of plays into that surreal feeling that's, you know, permeates the whole experience. Uh, I love weird experimental tracks like this from the infected districts to the like weirdly grooving, you know, beats of the, the black market uh, and Ruben's shack. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, it's once again extremely well done and does a good job reinforcing that uneasy feeling with the different influences it's drawing on. Um, the Harrispects, I don't know if you got this at all, but there was also some shamanistic kind of chanting in certain areas that uh, once again were more spiritual in nature, calling back to his roots. And I think the idea is that you were meant to be hearing your father's voice and um, the weird blend of you'd have these more industrial techno beats that actually remind me of vampire a little bit at times and then it would be awkward haunting choirs it it, it did a good job keeping you on edge and although there were a couple of times where i was tempted to turn the music off i never did and this game took me 20 to 25 hours to play through so I, uh, yeah, really enjoyed the music. All right, so we'll come back to story because there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about because this game is mostly story, in my opinion. Um, but we have to talk about the gameplay. Um, so if we had a scale from the most fun gameplay ever conceived to watching paint dry, i got to say that I think that this game's a step up from watching paint dry, but not not very much when you you know not reading through the story um but you're gonna play this like 30 to maybe 60 hour game depending on how many characters you play and 80 percent of that is just holding forward i think there is a lot of walking from point a to b very slowly in this game i would say that makes up the vast majority of your time in game um if it was not for the amazing atmosphere and story, I would have bounced off this game pretty hard, I think. I completely agreed. Th this game is one of extreme tedium. Okay, I have a lot to say about the mechanics of this game because I feel like it's a bunch of ideas that are all failures in execution, effectively. Like, lots of interesting ideas that by themselves you'd say they reinforce the atmosphere by themselves add a lot to the experience but in execution they actively detract from it so and i think that the the concept of walking and the speed at which you walk around is definitely the place to start because that is what the majority of your time spent playing pathologic is so i think there is something to be said for being in this town and having to walk around without any fast travel or anything like that. You get to know the town and you get to understand the layout and you have preferred routes and it helps add to the sense of place immensely. But you could cut down the walking by 80%, like literally 80% you could cut down the amount of walking you do and you would still have the same sense of place and experience. It's just too much. And demanding that the player spend that much time doing nothing of interest is unacceptable. I, I timed it. It takes you five real minutes to walk from one end of the town to the other. And that's if you do literally nothing else. It's, it's awful. It's atrocious. And it really needs to be headlined as the core of the pathologic experience. 
So I kind of agree with you, um, and I agree with what I said before, but I don't want to, like for me personally, I don't want to oversell how bad this was. Um, it's not as if you're just walking. There are some little things to keep you, I'm not going to say entertained, but there Occupied. are <laughs> things that occupy you um, from you know one end of town to another. And something that you'll do a lot is that you'll walk from one end of town to another back to the other end of town and then back you know because mm -hmm. most of what you're doing in this game is you talk to an npc go through all the really cool dialogue and then they'll say you should go talk to this npc and it's just a chain of that for the whole game mostly um with some little non-dialogue events you know occasionally like there is combat in this game mostly at night um but there are things that happen while you're walking that make it ever so slightly more interesting than just walking from point A to point B. So, to start with, this is a survival game, um, and during the st first, I'm going to say like two days of my playthrough, I worried about this a lot, and then near the end of the game, uh, I found it trivially easy to stay alive, to the point where like the survival part of the game wasn't interesting to me at all anymore. Um, and, you know, you've got meters to manage. You've got exhaustion, hunger, uh, resistance to infection, and the level of infection. And you've got to keep all of these, you know, up. So hunger's one of the main ones. Um, getting food in this game is probably the hardest of the things to get, I'd say, just because, you know, something cool that happens uh, narratively is that as the play kits, the prices change in the shops, uh, which I thought was really cool. And so it becomes a bit more difficult to get food. So, you know, in the first couple of days, finding food is a bit more interesting. Um, but then eventually you learn to understand the economy of the game. And, all you know, and at first you kind of exploit the economy because, you know, you don't really know how exploitable it is. And then near the end of the game, you find it very easy to exploit and nothing is difficult for you anymore. You just... Um, always have max all your meters for the last like six days of the game or something. Hold up, did you did you get in did you get infected, James, at any point? Uh, on day like three, yeah. And you managed that infection to the end of your playthrough, or did you cure it? I never cured it because I figured I'd just keep getting infected. I just kept like five percent infection for the whole playthrough. Wow. Okay. I um I did not find it that easy. <laughs> okay. I um I I used uh I used something to cure my infection at one point and I had to roll roll back saves because my infection got to a level that was difficult to deal with. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I Yeah, cuz what I cuz I just was able to get lots of cuz basically what I figured out on like day 3 is that this game has a economy that is i think this is so cool narratively but the game has an economy that's based on perceived value um and what that means is you spend yeah, every time you see a trash can you will loot the trash can and find maybe a bottle maybe a flower some string a, a fish hook something like that right um and in this game you can trade with basically anyone 
um, and people trade with you based on perceived value. For example, if you see a little girl and you trade with her and she has revolver ammo, she will give you all of her bullets for a flower because she's a little girl and she likes flowers. Um, which you know, likewise, all the little boys like uh, sharp things. Sharp things. They want, yeah, they, they want, want knives hooks and, and hooks. razor blades. Yeah. yeah. Well, hooks are valuable because they're a religious symbol um, in the setting more so than being oh, sharp. Right. Um, because God pulls you up by your soul when you die. But yeah, yeah, so you, you get all this crap out of the garbage and then you sell it to townsfolk for stuff and then you can, you know, you, you, know, you, trade, you trade your hook for, um, you know, a bullet and then you trade the bullet for bread. You know, you, you work your way up and I found out how to do that on like day four or five pretty effectively. And from then I had like, you know, a full inventory of bottles, bandages, um medicine antibiotics you know the works um and i didn't find the game challenging at all after that that is nuts i i mean i would say that now i have a good understanding of the economy but for most of the game i felt like i was struggling to stay ahead like i i came up with a strategy that i think got me ahead but the main reason i felt i needed to roll roll back to certain days to try again was because i wasn't spending my time efficiently enough in the early stages to get ahead yeah i'm surprised that you managed to get such a perfect mechanical grip on the economy so fast yeah well the thing that so i approached the game very systematically because i was because we're doing this review i was concerned that maybe we'd run out of time so what i did was because every day you have a main quest but it's you don't get that main quest when you wake up you have to go find it and it's not clear where that quest is or who you get it from and there's like four or five there's like three to four quests per day so what i would do you, is you get a you get a letter Did, weren't you getting letters that told you who wanted to speak to you you do get letters but you get those letters at set times um like yeah yeah but i was waking up at like 2 a.m which is like six hours before the first letter or something i was too but i didn't think you could initiate those quests until you received the letter no you can you can do the quest before you get the letter i don't even know if you oh get, wow yeah so basically i worked out that you can sleep like well there's there's this this um this drug that you can take like before you go to sleep that makes exhaustion and health fill up while you sleep faster so i only need to and you, and you can get coffee beans from the bar which fills up your exhaustion oh lowers your exhaustion so if you just spend like three hours a day sleeping then you know like half the day doing the quest and then the rest of the day just digging through trash you come out ahead, come hey, out so, ahead. so james let me let me put this to you. You've obviously you grasped the economy faster than I did. I think I've got it now, but it took me a while to get it. Was that fun for you? Like, what was it fun? Because after a while, you know what it was for me? It was grinding. It became grinding. I was enjoying when I was on the story stuff, when obviously take out the walking. But all of that other stuff to me was dull and yet more tedium I had to deal with to play this game. Yeah, so the first two days or so, I thought the economy was the coolest thing ever because, like, I don't know, the fact that bullets would be worth 300 coins to somebody but worth, like, one to a child was really cool to me and I really liked, like, learning what all the different NPCs valued, like how drunk people liked water more than anything that kind of thing i thought that was sweet 
And then I realized how repetitive it was and how unchanging it was and how I'd have to do this for another, like, 20 hours. Um, because it never gets harder. Like, day two and three is probably the peak of the, you know, the difficulty survival-wise. And then the more efficient you get at it... Because day one and two, I wasn't very good at navigating the town because one of the challenges, you have to do the quest in the time that you have. So there's this, like, time management element to the game initially. So I was, you know, barely getting through the day being able to do most of the quests, and then I'd, you know, run, feel like I ran out of time. Um, and then near the end of the game, I could do all the quests in, like, a couple hours and then have most of the day for rum rummaging through trash. Uh, and it was at that point where I was getting very bored with the gameplay. The game does try to, like, ramp the difficulty of the game up. Like, in the first two days, there's no Plague District, so you can walk around the town easily. Um, then Plague Districts are introduced, and walking through Plague Districts is, you know, anxiety-inducing because there are these clouds that appear, and if you touch them, you get infected. Um, and there's rats that try to bite you and infect you. There's muggers who try to knife you. And you die in one hit in this game. If a, if a mugger appears behind, like, a house and throws a knife at you, you die in one hit. Um, and you have to reload. <laughs> um, and then arsonists appear. It, it gets, like, incre like, the streets get increasingly hectic as the game goes on. But it wasn't enough. Like, I needed it to be more hectic for me to be you know, for the game to maintain my engagement from start to finish. Um, and it did not do that. The the walking from place to place doesn't really matter. Like the obstacles in your path, you quickly learn to deal with them. Um, plate clouds that you have to dodge always come from in front of you. So all you have to do is when you see one, just turn around and move to the right and, it, and you'll dodge it. Um, the people with the knives will always throw the knives. So as long as you're moving... Um, parallel to them and not at them the knife will miss and they run slower than you so they'll just chase you forever same with the rats they'll just chase you forever and as soon as you enter a building they all disappear so once again dealing with these things quickly becomes tedious and boring now i think the number one issue i've, I've said all these things are tedious but the number one issue is that for me it felt like i was being forced to engage with these mechanics every waking moment I had. So we've touched on it a little bit with the amount of time you sleep. The, the game is structured into 12 days. And um, at the beginning of each day, you can start your main quest. Once you've done the quest, you can't do anything more on that quest until the next day hits. Now, what you might expect with this game is you would reach, say, 8 p.m., you would go to bed and then you'd wake up in the morning at, you know, 7, 7 a.m. ready for the next day. However, that's not how sleeping in this game works. You're on a continuous clock. You're on a one, however many hours it is, 168 hours. That is your game time. So when you're awake, your hunger bar is increasing. When you're asleep, your hunger bar is increasing. And when your exhaustion bar is at zero, you have no more need to sleep. That means that if you finish sleeping and your exhaustion bar is depleted at 1am, you better get out there and do something. And what is there to do at 1am? Why, you can kill bandits. So my experience, a large part of my experience when I was not walking place to place doing quests, was engaging with these tedious mechanics, 
And I felt I had to because if I wasn't efficient in those hours, earning money and earning resources, then I'd be punished the next day because I wouldn't have enough money or resources to do the things I needed to do. So if I had to pick the number one flaw that kind of ruins everything, it's this fucking 24-hour clock because in combination with all the mechanics, you are forced to grind and you have no choice in the matter. You sound like you hate this a lot more than I do. Like, don't get me wrong, I think it's poor, um, but I don't hate it. Like, I think the number one thing for me was that a big part of the story is this sense of suspense and intrigue. Um, And I know it's kind of like padding, but for me, it was really engaging to have this huge, confusing dialogue with a character and then spend, you know, like five minutes walking and thinking about that conversation I just had and wondering, you know, what's going to happen next. So I I think it gives the story time to breathe in some ways. I think the atmosphere is so good that it pushes it up a bit as well, but you kind of can't get around the fact that it is bad. Um, but I, I, I got to say, I didn't loathe it as much as you seem to have. You know what I was thinking as I was playing this game, James? And, you know, I'm kind of convinced that this this is what the game should have been. It should have been a turn-based game or, like, almost board game-like in its approach where you would be in a place and then you would click on the place you won't want to go. You would suffer damage or disease based on dice rolls and you'd be able to make all the same decisions You'd be able to do all the same looting, whether it's action points or whatever. I haven't got a board game, you know, thing up in front of me, but it would have just gotten rid of the tedium of experiencing all that in-between stuff. And you could still have the music, still have the haunting atmosphere, but you get rid of the 90% of this game, which sucks balls and is awful to experience and is not fun. And it's not fun because it's chat. It's not not fun because it's challenging it's not not fun because things are horrible it's not fun because it's boring i don't think this game's very hard you don't think the game's hard i i think that's going to i found the game difficult i wonder if you would have disliked my route even more just because i feel because i'm on max reputation the whole game i didn't have to worry about that like it was just always high you reach max reputation in day one with harris specs it's not hard like it it, it's really that's not the difficult part the difficult part is just i think managing and understanding the systems which i think you grasped faster My, my problem is that when we played resident evil I really enjoyed the opportunity cost and decision-making you were making in that game. And that game was difficult and it was hard, but it was hard in a way that was... It was putting pressure on you in interesting ways. Yeah, This doesn't feel like it's putting pressure on me in interesting ways. And and that's my point of contention. Because I see a lot of people who are like, well, the game's trying to create this awful repressive atmosphere where it feels like you can't win and things are horrible and that's fine like it's fine that there's these hunger bars and everything and that you're desperate for food and at one point i traded a gun for food that's all great (laughs) but but when when the game is boring the game has failed like I, I shouldn't feel bored playing Pathologic. I should feel immersed, and I should feel in pain, and I should be 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 put into having to make difficult choices. I shouldn't be 
you know, just bored out of my mind thinking about other things. And that's what happened to me playing Pathologic. So to me, it's a complete mechanical failure. It's a complete shit show. And um, I don't think there's any way of getting around that. What I really wanted was for there to be like... So usually in the day, there's like four quests. Um, and you need to do that in time. Or you need to do one of the quests in time and then maybe the others, depending on the day. Uh, what I re- what I would have liked from this game was there for each day to have had like ten quests and only time to finish like six of them. Um, mm, to me, that's great. that would have yeah. been yeah, that would be that would be fun because then even if you keep everything else the same, then you're at least constantly thinking about like like weighing up your decisions. If I'm walking from point A to B while making these, you know, valuation you know, judgment calls over who, which character to help, where to spend my time, then I'm still engaged, even though technically I'm still just holding W for like five minutes um, because I'm thinking and planning. I love that suggestion, James. I think you're exactly on the money of what this quest design should have been. Give us difficult choices where we can't save everyone, have those people we don't save die, and then we got to live with the consequences. You know, make make the make the gameplay quest design about you know things fucking up and things being horrible but give us some agency and control over it and make it interesting to experience pathologic fails to do that i i can't get that across more you're you're focused on these mechanical niceties where you should be focused on um trying to save people and not being able to save everyone yeah and it really because i tried to play the another character the changeling the unlockable one after i finished the first character having to go back to the first few days where everything's even like i was fine i found the end of the game easy like on the bachelor's route and then it went back to you know, there was no muggers no arsonists no nothing to get in my way it was just back to literally holding w for five minutes with nothing in between it's like i can't i don't want to do this can i ask you on that playthrough because one of the things i realized as i played through like i i played through day one and then restarted i played through day one and two and then restarted um played through dive i i restarted i was making a save at the beginning of every day and i there were a few times when i reverted And the reason I did that was I felt I wasn't efficient enough in the earlier days. Yeah. Like I just wasn't getting enough done. So did you find for your new playthrough that you were being hyper efficient and getting way ahead of the game? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was finishing all the quests at like 10 a.m. or so. Not 10 a.m. but like midday. And then you just looted bins for 10 hours straight. (laughs) Yeah. At that point I was sick of the walking and I was like, what I'll do is I'll try to sleep as much as possible. (laughs) <laughs> because then I'll have to, like... Because Clara's thing is that she has lots of lockpicks. Because she's the... In her inventory, lockpicks stack. So you can, like, instead of taking a slot each. So you just... Uh, you just rob houses for stuff all the time. Nice. So I was like, okay, I'll make it harder for myself by sleeping. And then not, like, looting bins constantly. And then I'll just have to steal everything. And people try to attack me in their house. I don't know. Can we talk about the combat a bit? Because um, <laughs> I think the combat is the perfect example of how something that can be difficult at first and seem hard to get to grips with, but once you understand it, 
it's just boring and you do the same thing every time. Yep. Uh, the combat, I, I use melee combat for the majority of my playthrough because it doesn't cost any bullets and you basically have an infinite supply of knives when you attack muggers. Knives? Because I've got uh, a chance. You yeah. even, I, I had a scalpel. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> well, it's... A scalpel is made for cutting flesh, Patrick. Yeah, so are knives, mate. Well, I, maybe it depends on the knife. But but yeah, you the the hand to hand combat is atrocious. Like the animations and the damage zones and how long damage persists after you strike and after they strike you, complete nonsense. You basically have to learn it by rote, and then once you've learned it, you can just infinitely back up from enemies, kind of pressing forwards and backwards bit by bit and stab enemies to death 100% safely. Gotta hate once rats. you understand once but once you understand how to do it, it is 100% safely kill any enemy in the game in melee combat. And basically the more people you kill, the more money you get. It's the mugger economy where you just kill an infinite number of muggers and get infinite money as much as much as you have time. Um, it's awful like that that being a thing that you have to do and you have to do this and you should do it if you want more money which you do because you want to keep all your bars filled you should do this every single day for for literal hours hours and hours of game time i probably spent two to three hours killing muggers the exact same way it's everything i hate about jrpg grinding but worse it's awful I I didn't kill nearly as many people as you did because I I basically only used melee to kill rats and then just use bullets for muggers because like mm-hmm. a bullet costs like well like three hundred coins or something and a mugger kit gives you like four, four to six hundred so it was like and you get an item probably so it was like you know per bullet it was pretty efficient to kill them that way even though you had to go and get the bullets um you seem to have mastered the economy far faster than i did because i was struggling with this stuff um to probably about day 10 or 11 okay and i would say that i would say that yeah it kind of wasted me a lot of time in the latest stages of the game even the main thing i noticed was that after a couple of hours the bins like reset their contents um and just next to the theater, like, if you do a loop around the theater, there's, like, ten bins, and then in that little park next to the theater, there's, like, another ten bins. I looted mm-hmm. those twenty bins so many times in my playthrough. I got so much stuff to sell. Yeah, I thought they were once a day, so that does No, that it does was, like, sense. every hour or something, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I looted, like, every single bin, even if I'd just walked past it, I checked it again, and... Yeah, I that's, no good. that's what I that's what I did instead of kill muggers basically. Um because okay. you get medicine and you know I had so much medicine from children. So I basically looted all the bins constantly. Um checked the trade inventory of like literally every NPC I walked past. I did the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh which so you know, it's not right to say that you're just walking from point A to B. You're walking from point A to B, looting every bin, talking to every NPC. The NPCs actually change their dialogue every day, which I didn't notice until like halfway through the game, which I thought was a nice touch. Um, mm-hmm. Not 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 the main NPCs, obviously they change, but like the generic, because 
Um, generic NPCs in this game all look exactly the same. Um, every drunk character has the exact same character model. Every child. Uh, there's like two little girl models, maybe three. And, a, and there's like a teenage boy. He looks exactly the same. All the muggers look exactly the same. Um, and I had a situation <laughs> where I was in a warehouse and there were seven of these copy-pasted models running at me. Did, did you find that to be an issue? Because that didn't really bother me at all. Honestly, I think it makes the game better because it means you can quickly tell what they have in their inventory. Cause, that is true. Yeah, yeah, like all of the... like. You know that the drunks have bandages, and you know that the little girls have bullets, and you know that the teenage boys have medicine. Um, so that made it easy to shortcut having to talk to everyone, which I still did anyway. But yeah, the gameplay in this game is extremely repetitive outside of talking to characters. I don't necessarily agree with Patrick, because I had the same thought that you could change it to a um, like a turn-based sort of menu-driven system. Um mm. Honestly, it would just be like Persona then. Like, that's Persona's uh, non-dungeon gameplay uh, is time management and talking to people. Um, but I feel like you lose something in the atmosphere. More complex version of that. Like, have a map and you can, you know, go to any number of locations. Um, you have all the conversations with everyone. Um, you're still managing all your meters. You can even say, you know along the way loot all the bins whatever you want to do it would be a rather complicated system but basically what i'm getting at is a lot of the real-time mechanical stuff that you engage with is boring so why does it need to be there like what does it what does it really add to the experience why don't we take that out make it a game that's you know six hours long and suddenly you have a game that's just got the good bits like you, you, and that's that's what I'm getting at. I don't think it would be. I think it would be a significantly better game, and I I think you're gaining so much more than you're losing there. I agree. I think you're losing something. I'm not necessarily sure. I care about losing that something. Um, but I think being in a 3D space, sure, th there is a degree of immersion you're losing. I think there's a big degree of immersion. Honestly, like I found navigating the plague districts. You know, until I realized how easy dodging the clouds was to be relatively engaging at first. Um, yeah, I I got to agree. It's kind of it really really wears you down and not in a good way. Like I know Pathologic's supposed to be this dreary, uh, bleak and depressing game, but the gameplay is it's dull. Is dull. Yeah, it's just boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not it's not oppressing in the way I want it to be. <laughs> mm. Okay, should we have another music break, James? Yes. Um, I asked Patrick what song he was going to pick, and he said, oh, shit, I didn't choose a song. Um, I'll just choose <laughs> the main menu music. I think the main menu music is a great pick, honestly. Well, it's I mean, a fantastic song. It's a throw. It's like it's like the easiest pick in the world, but I agree <laughs> it is a great song. So um, this is this is the main menu music.
was the main menu music of Pathologic. Patrick, I gotta ask you, do you think the gameplay of this game is worse than Lunar Silver Star Story? <laughs> yes. I don't think it's too big of a stretch to say this. The gameplay in this game is just truly awful. Um, the storyline of Pathologic is leaps and bounds. Like, Pathologic storyline is up in the clouds, or as Lunar's is stuck in the mud. But when it comes to gameplay, this is one of the worst games I've ever played. Were you expecting me to say that? Oh yeah, I was expecting you to say that. Um, yes. I think Luna's gameplay is better than this. Uh, and I think some of the gameplay in this game is more enjoyable than it has any right to be um, because of narrative reasons. Like, I honestly, like the first couple times I got such a kick out of trading flowers for bullets with this child. It was really funny. Um, obviously diminishing returns but yeah um do we want to go into spoiler discussion now um because I, I just want to talk about the story more honestly so yeah we're, we're moving into full spoilers now so uh you know if you absolutely must play this game which you shouldn't um now is your final chance to play it mo mostly blind without um without major spoilers patrick is wrong by the way you should play this game but <laughs> So James, what I wanted to do was share some details of what my individual playthrough was like. So do a bit of a day-by-day -day breakdown of the things that I was experiencing, and then maybe you can do it your you can share your own experiences, and together we can paint a picture of uh, the storyline and what what playing this game is actually like from a story perspective. So so a brief overview is that you, you arrive in town. Um, you've been accused of murdering your father and you must clear your name. So your reputation is at zero. Everyone attacks you on sight. Um, so you do a few good deeds on your first day. It might take you a little while to figure out how to do that. But you can get your reputation up to a point where you're not getting attacked by anyone pretty quickly. It's it's not too hard. Um, so you've got your reputation back and your main goals are at first are to claim your inheritance and try to solve this murder and clear yourself of any suspicion um, related to this murder. So you continue to work on that, and in a couple of days, a couple of days in, you meet the bachelor. And the bachelor, at first, you're very scared of him because you've been told by multiple people that he's out to kill you, he's out to get you in trouble. But because he quickly diagnoses the deaths of these people as as infections. Um, he, you know, clears you of suspicion and you start working with him to try to cure the disease. So he uses his more scientific methods and you use your more, you know, natural remedy sort of methods. And you're both working cooperatively to try to try and find a vaccine or a cure for the disease. Um, I guess the main difference between the two is that the doctor wants to form a vaccine, a vaccine to immunize people to prevent others from getting the vaccine. Whereas the Haruspex is more ambitious. He wants to create a panacea, a cure. He wants to get a potion that he can give people with the disease to cure them of it. And that's very much a difference in their approach. So things were going pretty well. Um, we were making progress on trying to figure out this disease. And then day five hits. And on day five, uh, you get captured. All your things get stolen. You get thrown in a jail cell. Your reputation goes to basically zero, and then you need to kill two more guards to escape yourself, which takes your reputation to zero. 
Um, and you'll almost definitely get infected because you're trapped in a jail cell and there are infection clouds blowing in. So that was an insane difficulty spike that was really tough. So it, it kind of like completely ruined my bandit knife economy that I'd built up over time. You, you get you get something like you get um you get a revolver and some medicine, a few bullets, but um it was a real kick in the teeth. What one that I'm ultimately in favor of because uh it really you know puts the screws into you. Uh, but yeah, it was it was tough to recover from that. The um yeah, so I got infected and I did not handle it well. I eventually um made my first panacea and I used that to cure myself. You're probably meant to save it for later, but I was really struggling with the infection. I didn't have the same grip on the economy you did, so um I just immediately used it. So so overall, the first playthrough is very much about survival. Like you don't get a lot of details on the inner workings of what are going on. You kind of move from person to person. They speak a bunch of mumbo jumbo at you um, as you try to, you know, claim your inheritance, but you don't really know what's going on. And then the more substantial thing you're doing on that you can understand is your work with a doctor to try and cure this disease as the as the town gets worse and worse. So James, tell me about the first half of your playthrough. Was it, I I know it's different from mine, but tell me how it was different. Okay. So the doctor arrives in the town because the powers of B are threatening to shut down his institution, which he has founded in the hopes of curing death. Uh, The bachelor's primary goal is that he is coming to the town because he has heard of this elusive figure, Simon Kane, who is allegedly 150 years old, and you want to study somebody who's immortal so that you can cure death. So you get to the town, um, and then you find out that Simon's been murdered. So you go to the Kane's residence, and you speak with Georgie, his brother, who is, you know, grieving for his lost brother, and he tasks you to find... And the body is missing as well, and he's like... Or you can't access the body because it's in focus, whatever that means. You don't know it at the time. Um, and because, you know, your institution's going to be destroyed if you don't find Simon's body, you agree to help Georgie track down the killer. So the first day, and I'd like to remind the audience that when I came into this game, I had no idea about what it was about at all. This was blind for me. So the first day was a real murder mystery for me, and I went around the town, you know, um, trying to figure out who killed Simon until it becomes apparent that it was a disease, um, who had killed both Simon and Patrick's character's father. Um, So after that, you know, the Doctor, his primary goal is, you know, figuring out how to stop the onset of this and at the, the, the start it's very political for me like the the town's ruling structure is a triumvirate there's three uh, distinct families who each have their you know big share of the pie um, and you know one of the things you do early is you need to consolidate power with one of the three families so that they can, you know, effectively give orders to the whole town in order to, you know, create order in what's obviously going to be a very chaotic environment. So you do a lot of 
political intrigue stuff, talking to the big families until eventually um, Sabarov is given the power of governor. And all this time, you're also like trying to, you know, investigate what kind of disease it is. You try to get cells from a dead person in order to investigate under a microscope, which you actually do. Like you get um, a cell item and you put it in a microscope and you look at it and you look at all of them and he comments on it because in this game your characters are very well defined so I find in a lot of games like the protagonist when you play in a first person game usually doesn't have that much personality or intellect or skill of their own not in this game in this game my character the bachelor is a doctor he knows doctor things all his responses are very clever doctor things um that i would have no idea about but you know i'm playing my role so i click on them and i say them um and then day four or five i think this is before you get locked down is one of the coolest like convergences of quest chains that i've probably ever experienced in a game um and this is the day patrick you might remember that i decide that i need a beating human heart in order to create the vaccine so this part of the story from the harris Bex's perspective is actually pretty shocking because things are going pretty cordially between you and the doctor and then all of a sudden he asks you to cut out the heart from a living human being um but I guess that's what they both decided needed to be done if they were going to fight off the uh, the greater threat that faced them both. Because we've discovered that this plague is one that kills people very quickly and violently, but it burns itself out. Like, once the host is dead, the virus dies too. So um, in order to study it, we need a live sample of the virus or the, you know, whatever the bacteria, whatever it is. Um, but because, you know, the deceased, you know, it leaves their body as nothing to feed off of, we need a living specimen, um, specifically living tissue. And in this town, you discover culturally that it is against their culture to cut flesh uh, at all. Um, there are only and only a few people who are allowed to do it without persecution, your character being one of them, Patrick. Yeah, your character is referred to as a menku by the other characters throughout the game. It's not his surgeon training that gives him the qualifications to cut people up for autopsies. It's entirely his role as a Harrispex. It's his spiritual role um, that he has occupied and the one he's inherited from his father. Yeah, he can read the lines, as it were, which is kind of like metaphorically both, you know, knowing how to dissect a person, but it also has these like spiritual connotations as well. Anyway, so the characters in this game, and I'm going to get to my cool story now, um, are very flawed characters and some are very morally dubious. Uh, some made me actively uncomfortable interacting with them. Um, and this is the story about one of these times. So on this day, um, the previous day, me and Ruben, because I've been working very closely with Ruben, who was your father's protege. So he is like not a full doctor, but he's, you know, on his way there. So he's pretty good with medicine, but he's not, you know, um, accomplished. So you know that today you need to get some kind of living tissue. So um, I find you. And I say, hey, look, I need this. And your character goes, yeah, okay, I'll do it. What I'll do is I'll meet you at this district at 10 p.m. And then 
whoever's there, I'm going to jump them, kill them, and take their heart, and you're going to take it. And my character's like, uh, that's pretty, yeah, but it's for a vaccine, so it'll save more people than it kills. So, okay, let's do it. So that's kind of, so there's some organ, let's, we, 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 we did organ harvesting, that was fun. Um, my side quests for the day, um, made me, that, that was whatever, that, like, that's, that's fucked, but the other side quest made me physically uncomfortable by quite a bit. Um, so the other side quest was, in the middle of the town, there is this house called the Willows, which uh, is lived in by a woman named Anna Angel. There are these rumors going around town um, that, you know, she denies for the first half of the game. And, you know, you can't prove anything. But basically, in the town's past, there was this traveling caravan um, of performers um, that would go around to towns and... Um, the first day they were to town, they're like, you know, like gypsies or something. Um, they would do a performance for all the kids in the town. Um, and then the next day they would do a performance for all the adults. And during the performance for all the adults, half of the performers would go and steal the children and then they'd drive off with the kids. Like they were, you know, child traffickers. And this Anna Angel character is rumored to be a refugee from when the authorities caught the child traffickers and killed them all, she escaped. Um, that's what people say. Now, the pandemic hits, uh, there's plague everywhere, and she says to you, I know this guy that I can blackmail on the other side of town um, for a lot of money, and I'm going to do that because I want to survive the pandemic. Um, and I know that because we stole... Because he, he's got a child and she's not his daughter, we stole her and gave him, like, she's his, like, child slave, basically. Um, and you know this now, and you're going to blackmail him with this, you know, this advice. So, okay, so I go there, I do that, I locate the child, I talk to her, and I tell her everything, and she's like, okay, that's fucked. Um, I'll confront my father. What I'll do is, 10 p.m., I'll go to this district, and then you can meet me there with my father. Um, so I, it's the same district that your character told me um, that he was going to jump somebody and harvest their organs. So what's happened here is that I've... Um, so what I was planning to do was to save the child. What ended up happening was that we stole her beating heart out of her chest um, after I told her that, yeah, sure, I'll meet you in this district. So we go from, like... We're going to harvest organs to, hey, we stole this child, um, go to this town, you'll be safe, I promise, winky face, and then you just bring a heart back to Reuben. Like, the way the, the two separate quests, like, ended up meeting up at that one point in the most, like, fucked way, uh, was really fucking funny, um, in, like, like, the darkest way possible. I thought that was great. Um, I reckon if you don't do that other quest, somebody else must rock up at there, and there's just a generic NPC that you get the heart from. No, because it needs to be a specific type of person. It needs to be a butcher or a or a worm bride, basically. Uh, so m maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it would be a generic NPC. But for me, when I did that quest, I basically came. They said you should kill um you should kill a worm bride. 
And um, I got there and there were three butchers there and they're like, yeah, you have to murder her. And I was like, well, no, because I can kill you instead. <laughs> so I felt justified in killing the butchers because they were going to murder the woman. Um, right. And that's probably the most evil thing I did for my playthrough, uh, killing yeah. the butchers. But they were also demanding the death of an innocent woman and they would have killed her if I didn't kill them. So does that make it justified? Mm. But <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the bachelor's playthrough <laughs> yeah, is that was uh, slightly some, uh... darker. Well, okay. So this is actually why I have a criticism of the game because as much as I was impressed by these two quest chains that were separate and rolling in on each other and giving this like illusion of freedom, um, what my original plan was for this quest was to go to the the creepy hunchback, not father, take the money off him, then shoot him in the head. Um, so I took the money no, off him. No, not my hunchback. I need him. He's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took the money from the hunchback, and then I shot him in the head, and his character model didn't react at all, because NPCs are immune to being attacked in this game. Yeah, there apparently. are some critical quest NPCs, yeah. He is, he, I never spoke to that character again other than that quest. Um, right. Like, after taking that money. Um, but so, you can't you can't take his heart. It needed to be... I don't know if you knew that, but it needed to be from specific NPC types, I guess. I didn't, I didn't know that. I just... Because okay. your character said you'd get me one, and I was like, sweet. <laughs> um... But yeah, like when I couldn't shoot that NPC in the head, it kind of broke my immersion a bit and was like, because up until that point, I think the game had done a really good job of making me think that anything was possible with the quest, you know, chains. Like there was a bunch of ways some of the quests could branch and there was kind of this like, you know, in the back of my head, it felt like anything could happen. Like the game was really reactive and that moment just kind of like was like, no, this is a this is a 2005 video game. It's not that reactive. I, I didn't get that. I, I'm, I'm like, I didn't feel it at all. Like I always okay. felt like I was on a fairly strict narrative. So it wasn't as immersion breaking for me, I guess. Yeah, because the, the game did a pretty good job of that originally. Um and then it kind of like fell apart because I think a game that successfully does what it advertises, I guess, would be an incredible experience. Um, but, you know, obviously not here. So, yeah, that was the first five days of my playthrough. I know we've gotten off track a bit, um, but I thought... No, that that quest sounds amazing. Yeah, I really it was that. really fun. Um, the, um, the middle of my playthrough was definitely um, a bit of a dip. Uh, so you first get a quest where you need to find, and I kid you not, um, you want to get access to the abattoir because that's where it seems like a lot of the intrigue is happening, the abattoir where they slaughter the cattle. But in order to be allowed in, you need to get 50, yes, 50 tablets of what? these alpha tablets. You know, the, oh, the, the, the tablets, the, yellow ones. the shopkeepers, yeah, the shopkeepers oh, that's easy. might sell 11 at a time. But it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world when you have zero, yeah. when you start out with zero. So what you need to do is you need to just walk around from shop to shop to shop. you got to remember which shop is which as well, or while dodging infection and plague or whatever. And I just thought 50 was just a ridiculous number that you had to get. Yeah. Um, then you had a day where you just ran around in circles chasing after the Inquisitor because you'd get to one place and they'd be like, oh, she just left. She went here. Oh my God, it was bad. But but then the story in the last part of the game was really, really good. And it really came into its own because you started to 
interact with the foreman of the abattoir and you started to get to the I guess the mysteries and truth of what was actually going on. I thought the foreman um, died. Uh, he does at the end of the game, but and was not replaced by... by his daughter. No, that so uh, okay. So there's the mother superior, which is a daughter, and she's not the foreman of the abattoir. She's like, I don't know. She's like the spiritual leader of the abattoir or something. Um, I that that could be wrong, but she's she seems to have a lot of control over it. The foreman is another person who's kind of like a spiritual person like the Harrispex is but um and you're he sees you as a threat oh sorry the form is um, different to the the overseer of the termitary okay yes yeah so um see i don't know how much of this you know james but um let, let's get to let's get to big picture spoilers so the you know how you're in your playthrough you had a very scientific explanation for why the groundwater got diseased yes. and um, caused the issue. Yeah, so, so let's in- talk about the the main. So we're going to talk about the main spoiler of the plot of the game, which is yeah, like figuring yes. out where the infection came from. Okay, so yes. from what I gather online, um, each of the three plate characters comes to a different conclusion regarding the solution to the plague, which to me is really fucking cool narratively. Um, and I think, like, I fully believe um, the way that The Bachelor um, can't... Because what, what happens is, um, first you learn, like, you learn that all of the houses in the town have these tiny little holes in the floorboards that go down into the earth, because the earth is sacred, so that the houses, you know, have this connection to the earth. Just all of them have these little holes into the earth. Um, and then you find out that, I don't know, centuries ago, there was a cattle burial, you know, ground deep beneath the earth. Like there's just, you know, thousands of bull corpses or whatever, because, you know, bulls are sacred, but also slaughtering bulls is sacred. Um, but there's also this like layer of hard sediment between the you know, all the, the nasty and the people. So one of the big questions is how um, how does the plague get from under deep under the earth up to the households? Um, and two of the characters that I spoke with a lot was Andre and Peter Stamerton. Um, Peter is, uh, they're both architects. Peter is, um, he's like a drunk, drug addict kind of character who's always, you know, high off his face. Um, and scribbling crazy designs all over the walls. Um, and in part of the town, there's this like insane-looking structure called the polyhedron, uh, which looks like you know it should not be able to float up in the sky um, the way it does. But you find out after you know a lot of quests with Peter that you get your hands on the schematics for the polyhedron, which is the crazy mind-bending structure that's like bigger on the inside than it is outside and defies the laws of physics, whatever. That it's actually not that insane. That there's just a giant metal rod that goes, you know, all the way, you know, dozens of kilometers under the ground in order to support the weight on the end. And what's happening is that over time, the big weight on the end of the rod is acting like a lever and pushing the earth up, which is allowing the, you know, the infection to get up and into the town. Um, 
And that's that's the solution that my character comes up with. That it's this this architecture that's been created is you know pushing up all this nastiness from under the earth. Is that is that where your character landed? So my character also agreed that the problem was the um, was this polyhedron, but it was a far more I guess it was a far less scientific explanation for why it was doing the things it was doing. So. In this town, they worship bulls and, you know, the whole culture is based around bulls. And there's a belief that the hill that they're sitting on is like a god. It's a it's a it's a spiritual being. And I don't know if you ever saw this, James, but did you have you seen pictures of maps where the town resembles a bull? Yeah, if you if you go into the map screen and you zoom out a lot, you eventually see the the picture of the town as a bull. As a bull, yeah. yeah, and as the um, as you go on further into the story, you see, I guess, a representation of the town, whether like a a different perspective, yeah. And for the Harrispecs, it begins to resemble a giant, you know, spike in the head of a bull. the The reason all of that stuff is in there is because they've been pouring blood into the ground for hundreds of years as part of the slaughtering of the bulls, and it's created. I guess, a reservoir of, um, you know, hot boiling bull blood that can be accessed at any time. And you, as part of your, as part of your spiritual quest, you, I guess, encounter impossible spiritual things. There's a part where, um, so basically the, the foreman is trying to get rid of you. So he puts you on these spirit quests with the hope that you'll fail them. Like he point, you know how there's a time limit, James. Yeah. In the um, in the first two quests, you get put on a secondary time limit. In the first one, your exhaustion meter goes up and it keeps going up, and when it won't go down until you finish the quest. And then for the second one, it happens to your hunger meter. The third quest, though, is the funniest. The third quest is like, yeah, jump down this hole, uh, and if you haven't gotten help from another character beforehand, you fall down the hole and you die. And that is the outcome <laughs> of the game. Nice. Yeah. So he's trying to get rid of you. Um, but if you speak to the shapeshifter first, you jump down the hole and she like miraculously saves you in a way that, you know, is impossible uh, unless there's some kind of spirituality thing going on. And then you eventually get into a literal boss fight with the foreman, <laughs> which is very tedious. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And you um you take your position as the I guess the spiritual leader of of the town, but um yeah as I started going on these spirit quests and started to understand what was happening um it all for for the aspects this bull god is real and I think that in the context of the game with everything I've seen this bull god is real. Yeah, my character doesn't believe in any of that. Does he believe in the um? So the other half of it was the polyhedron with the idea that. The people seem to believe that there was a that Simon's spirit, the very first person, was residing in it. And one of the problems was that there wasn't room for both the god and the new the new Simon god, which existed in the polyhedron. They couldn't coexist, so it had to be one or the other. Okay. Near the end of the game, the canes start to get really weird. Um mm-hmm. Because they believe in reincarnation, but not not in the way, I guess, that you would think of it. 
um they go into these like paragraphs and paragraphs of like weird circular logic that is like half deranged half doesn't make sense but half, they like fully believe it um and honestly at this part of the game i had a real hard time keeping up with the dialogue like it was beyond me at some points um like the writing was just hard i don't think you're meant to understand it i think yeah. that this stuff probably becomes clearer in the harrisbecks walkthrough uh where you actually get to speak to the you know where you're speaking to people who want to speak to you because i don't think any of the spiritual people like uh what was her name amity like was she interested in speaking to you at all she she was not very high on the bachelor aspity yeah she wasn't very high on the bachelor when i spoke to spoke to her about you no so clara believes that aspity's in love with your character i don't know if that manifested in your playthrough um she she did everything you said and she tells you everything so maybe uh so in my playthrough she okay so like on day like so a big part of the law is that one of the three founders has kind of forced the indigenous people of the steppe into a totally not servitude role inside this big structure um, at the top of town, uh, the termitary, which and the kin, which is what the indigenous people are called, uh, you know, they don't speak well. As far as I can tell, they don't speak the same dialect that the other characters speak. They speak in this weird voice. And at the start of the game, Aspity is acting is protecting them because uh, they're locked up in their you know their area because you know plot reasons um but they're being hunted basically uh, and she is keeping one safe in her basement uh, and i get a quest on day like two from the son of that powerful person who's trying to keep them all hidden away in their you know their shelter um that if it was to get around you know if word was to get out to town that the kin had gotten loose you know there'd be there'd be problems so he's like i'll give you like five thousand gold to go kill one so i go to aspity and i'm like hey um are you keeping this guy in your house i just want to talk to him and then she says yeah sure he's downstairs so i go downstairs and i blow his brains out and then i leave without talking to him ah the bachelor's a Um, dickhead (laughs) yeah so he he's an asshole dude like half the conversation with the characters is like the character talks to the to him about their deep-seated spiritual beliefs and he says are you fucking retarded that sounds insane like he is so blunt and just like so condescending to like half the characters it's so funny um yeah he's a bit of a dickhead and she you know obviously realizes this and for the entire playthrough you know her name aspity is you know a, a bastardization of the word asp spit and pity um and she embodies that all of that towards the bachelor in the game like she just is a complete prick just paragraphs and paragraphs of hateful venom speaked words and um, and she just like there's one quest where i talk to her for like 10 paragraphs or something and then finally get her to tell me you know where this person i'm looking for is and it's on the other side of town 
Um, so I go to the other side of town, and it's not there. Yeah, she lied. She, she's she she's lied. tricked you. Yeah, <laughs> she, she's just fucking with me. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? And you know, because the you know the tedious walking back and forth across the town, I was like a bit salty, but at the same time, it was really funny, like narratively. Yeah, but but obviously, I I get that the bachelor doesn't believe it, but obviously there is something spiritual happening in this town right like i'm I'm just asking you is there well let me obviously in my playthrough i experienced things that were otherwise impossible right i wasn't on any yep. drugs or anything when that near-death experience happened and all that other stuff uh but if you want an example of something what did the um what did the virus look like to you because it looks like ghost faces and brown angels were rushing at me was it the same for you? Yeah, so in the plague districts it looked like that and yeah. I like that I like the way the plague that the houses are literally bleeding like it looks Yeah, fucked. see there you go. That's that was the next thing I was going to say. The houses and grounds are bleeding. But at the same time like in game like my I looked into a microscope and saw the microbes and stuff and was like this is just a virus. Yeah, I I'm not so I think this is a case where um it's not that it's not a virus, it's that the cause of the virus is is something deeper and beyond our understanding. That That's how I understood it. Yes, we can... My understanding is that the characters have completely different beliefs based on who they are. Yeah, sure. To me, they build a complete picture together. It's not that the doctor was wrong in his what he was ad- advising um, and in his understanding of the plague and all that kind of stuff it was that the root cause of what was going on was something deeper something eldritch something beyond our understanding yeah i didn't hear i didn't see much of that at all in my playthrough like it was very whenever there was something weird and arcane there was a logical explanation that either my character came up with or one of the other reasonably logical characters came up with Mm. did you speak with the inquisitor much yes she was like my main NPC for a while. So there was a couple of days where she was my main focus because um she was the one who unlocked the doors to the abattoir because she has that power, and she um you know oh, she okay. she helped me get that. So to make the panacea um the cure, you need access to this blood uh, that's made from aurochs, like the bulls the bulls blood, or it can be accessed. I think by the by the overseer just by getting into the getting into the dirt because you also find a patch of blood at the base of the um of the polyhedron so you combine that with one of your herbal mixtures and it makes a cure so um the inquisitor mm-hmm. was a was a key part of of getting the the first doses of panacea mm. yeah like even even the polyhedron itself is kind of like the bachelor doesn't understand how it works but his guess is like, okay, Peter is like half insane on drugs, but also he's also kind of a brilliant architect. So maybe he has, you know, accidentally stumbled on some insane like law of physics or something that, you know, I yeah, haven't so, encountered so there, yet. There's a scientific explanation for it. Yeah, so yeah. Even though he doesn't grasp the explanation, he believes there is one. Sure. And, and that makes sense. Maybe after you play the Hierospecs uh, walkthrough, you'll, you'd, you'd be more on my side. I can understand coming from that perspective, it would feel more that way. I just want to get across the idea that I haven't 
played a mystery game where, you know, I've played multiple characters and they've all come to different conclusions that they each believe is 100% true. And which sound reasonable, right? Yeah, and that it's framed very reasonably that when you play as these characters, you can believe that they came to the... And you yourself mm. can also come to these conclusions. And I think that's like... It's brilliant. I, I, I'm, I like, I love it. Uh, I think it's incredible. Um, I find that a lot of the time when you play a game that's very heavy on mystery and intrigue in the first like act or two, that the the payoff is always super disappointing. I don't think I've ever played like a mystery game where I haven't been incredibly disappointed by the ending. Um, I wasn't blown away by the bachelor's solution to the mystery but the combined like idea of there being you know characters all solving it differently i think that's really cool and this is one of the few games that i can say that the ending of the mystery wasn't super disappointing to me yeah i completely agree with that and in fact my interest in the story grew and grew and grew and by the end i was I was fully hooked and invested and did a bunch of reading and I actually want to do a bunch more reading to better understand because there's so many facets of the story that I don't quite get the hang of. Um, I won't be playing this game again, but Pathologic 2 I might I might investigate a bit further, but I, I want to know more about the story. So I'll be reading, you know, analysis videos and what, reading analysis articles and watching analysis videos, that kind of thing. To be blunt, I think this game has like one of the best stories in a game that I've played, like full stop. Um, the world's really interesting and intriguing. The characters are all strange and bizarre have their own twisted motives sometimes are your friend and sometimes holding a dagger behind their back it's all i don't it's all very uh it, it just sucks you in right yeah it gets its hooks in you the, the more you play the more you want to know more and i certainly want to know more james um let's let's have another music break and then maybe we can talk <laughs> about music the, uh, i think so yeah because i want yeah. to talk about the endings a little bit and what um our endings were yeah, so you, you what what you're saying is there's going to be a second level of spoiler warning. Um, <laughs> uh, it's still under the same banner, but yeah, James, what what would you like to pick as your second music piece? Um, okay, I want to pick one of the night. Actually, I want to pick the theme of one of my favorite NPCs because okay. it's not a it's not a loud and bombastic track. It, but I I loved hearing it every time because I I felt that like this NPC. I, I, there was just something about them that I found really entertaining. So um, the NPC was Bad Grief, the leader of the, the Black Guild. Market, the Thieves Guild, basically, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> when you go into his, like, den of, you know, dingy uh, debauchery or whatever, uh, it just plays this, like, you know, this really low-key drone bass track <laughs> that I thought was great. So uh, here it is. Here's Bad Griff.
theme I, I really thought it was great um it really you know gets there in the end of the song um so patrick wants to go to double spoiler territory but now before because... we do i just wanted to talk about the regular endings um and the endings we got okay sure yeah because um i wanted to say the first time i played this through i got the bad ending i um didn't create enough panacea uh, I didn't realize I basically that there's this thing that happens where people can become uh, critically ill. So one of my wards became critically ill. I didn't finish the main quest because you know, that thing I was saying where you need to get the story out of someone. Yeah. So I went back to tell the person the end of the story and then it said, Oh, and how? What what happened next? And then it gave you three options to continue telling the story. So <laughs> you had to remember it, and I did not remember it. So I guessed at one of these options. She's like, "Nah, that's not how the story goes." Quest failed. It just uh, that that was it. I was like, "Ah, uh, okay." And I didn't I didn't reload. I was just like, "All right, here we go." And um, one of my wards Imagine got... Imagine not saving before every conversation, though. Well, I mean, I thought, you know, this is just how the game goes. Like, I'm just going to deal with the consequences, right? Uh, uh, when, when, I got, when I got one hit killed by a mugger, I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not playing uh, every day from the start. I, I, quick, I quick saved a lot. I was just like, well, I guess my ward's going to fall ill. Like, I okay, failed the sure. main quest. It, I quick saved... A lot. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say I wasn't quick saving because if you don't quick save, you die. I I just meant I tried to live with my story consequences and story mistakes I made. Um, and then I went I I for my quest on a later day to get the panacea. I had to interact with Notkin, but there was a person outside the house saying he's ill, and I didn't have the vaccine, and I thought I needed the vaccine to cure him. Whereas actually you can give antibiotics to the guy and he'll let you in did you have uh, access to schmouter as well as the panacea uh there were a couple of points but did you ever get that explained to you <laughs> uh yeah yeah it was the kids um the kids one yeah so basically <laughs> yeah so basically that there was a there was a plague before and the children of the town um, you know, being children who think they're better than adults, we're like, the adults can't cure the plague, but we know better. So what we'll do is we'll break into the pharmacy, steal all the medicine, and then mix it together to make super medicine, and then we'll take it, um, which, you know, in the story quest that I had for this topic, Apparently, heaps of the children just died because, of course, they did after mixing together like literally every antibiotic. But you know, magically, 
they did make a cure for the disease, but when you take it in game, it just puts you to like two HP or something, which is no uh, big I, deal. Yeah, it was. I laughed a lot when um, I was reading the dialogue about like these kids just mixing drugs together. It was great. Yeah, so so I thought I couldn't cure this. I thought I was like just stuffed. It's like, well, I can't continue this quest. Um, and then I ran out of time to do the other quest. Uh, I was like, whatever. And then um, the game ended because I had two people that I hadn't cured and I had no panacea. So my first playthrough of this game was ended in failure. And it was only when I reloaded my day 10 save and realized that that day you can get six panaceas. And I oh my God. had my bloody... I finally got choke pointed on exactly day 10 after playing fine and perfectly. And it just screwed everything up because that was the one day where you could get all of the um, vaccines. But I ended up loading that save and playing again through from day 10 and got the successful ending. So I just wanted to say um, I got the bad ending and I kind of think it's quite cool that you can just play awfully and just get the bad ending. It's it's neat that you don't get a game over screen when people start dying. Uh, you can just keep playing and fail and that's part of the experience. So um, I thought that was... I, I really liked that inclusion as a game design thing, um, a tragic ending with everyone dying is uh, is right up my books. Yeah, I found that if people got sick that weren't my bound, they would get sick, but they wouldn't die. Yeah. Like, so it was at the end of the game, a bunch of the bound was sick, and I was giving them, like, shitty medicine so I could talk to them, but I wasn't giving them the good stuff. Um, yeah, I didn't realize you could do that. That was my, my fault. <laughs> I got a funny story, actually. You know how I said I went into this game blind? Yeah. On day... It might even be day one, where that quest for, you know, the kids making the schmouders of the cures. Um, so Lara tells me about that, and I go and I confiscate them because the kids are taking them and dying. Yeah. Because, um, of course, they are. Um, and I walk back to Lara, and she says, This is before... Um, I've solved the murder, and I at this point, like, I don't know that this, even though the game's called Pathologic, I don't know that there's a disease. Yeah. Um, so I have this schmouder that says, like, if you get an infection, it might cure it. And I was like, she's like, I'll give you 1,000 gold for the schmouder. And I had, like, 400 <laughs> gold. And I was like, holy shit, that's so much, and took it. Nice. <laughs> um... And then, yeah, because normally poison or whatever is like this irrelevant status effect in yeah. games, right? <laughs> so yeah, I was really, really regretting that at the end of the game because it was like, oh, I'm not going back funny. to day one. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, it's really funny. Something, this is spoilers too, but something I, I thought was so funny was like, it's a survival game. Day one, bread costs 300 gold. And, you know, that's expensive, but you can manage it. Day one, you solve the mystery, re reveal to the town that there's a pandemic. Day two, bread costs 1,600 gold. The, um, it's like, what? The other thing I did um, at the beginning of the game was I explored. I was like, ooh, let's go look at everything. 
So I just walked around the town looking at things. Wasting for my, time. For my first like two days, I was like, I wonder what's over here. How do I get in here? What's this polyhedron thing? Just walking around. I might loot a bin occasionally, but I was just exploring because I'm like, oh, I'm just... And then um, and then when shit got real, I was like, I am very unprepared for this. So <laughs> I started again from the start and was looting bins like a maniac for every every second I could. But uh, yeah, it it is funny when you don't understand the severity of how bad things are going to get. You have a more relaxed approach at first. All right, James, let's let's return to the ending. So tell us about your your ending. What did you do at the end of the game? Okay, so on the last day, you get two quests from the other two playable characters to cure their sick in in addition to yours. Uh, because I was an idiot um, and sold the schmouder for. A pittance because you have like sixty thousand gold at the end, so and they're worth like ten each instead of one. Anyway, I didn't have enough, so I could only cure one of the characters' sick people. Um, Clara's bound are all the fucking like scumbags of the earth um, <laughs> characters. Like, I like Bad Grief. He's my bro, even though you know i paid him 10,000 gold to kill innocent guards to get you out of jail whatever um and he's probably the reason why all the muggers are armed but still you know he's my bro but you know anna angel the child trafficker and like lots of the like evil little kids i i was like no nah, i'm not saving these people they can die it's fine um i was very happy when anna angel died um <laughs> but i saved all your characters which meant that in the final uh, discussion about what to do, because what happens is the army comes with a giant cannon, <laughs> like literally a giant cannon, and they're like... Okay. Yeah, they, they don't quite grasp that artillery has quite a long range, unfortunately. Well, actually they do, because the cannon that comes to town is a... Like, it's not a real cannon, it's just a scare tactic cannon. Um, oh make... really yeah so they they, oh. they explain that there's actually artillery way further back that's the real artillery wow okay sure all yeah. right fair yeah. enough fair, yeah. fair point <laughs> yeah um anyway so basically when the army rocked up i was expecting the general to be extremely unreasonable um but he was quite reasonable surprisingly um and he said like if you can come to a conclusion about what's causing the plague and you let me know, I'll trust you because you're a doctor and I'll, you know, I'll use the artillery to raise the cause of the plague. Um, if you can't come up with a good solution, I'm going to bomb the entire town because the, the, the plague's fucked and we don't want it to infect, you know, Russia as a whole or whatever. Mm -hmm. So in my playthrough, I discover that because the, the polyhedron is leaning... It's, it's allowing the plague to get out. So logically, me, the player, is like, if we just destroy the polyhedron, then the town can be saved. Now, the batch, like, there's an ending for each of the characters that's, you know, their ending, quote-unquote, but you can choose the other endings. Um, so destroying the polyhedron was your ending, which is what I chose, because I thought yep. that made the most sense. But apparently... The Bachelor's ending is the one where he destroys the town to save the Polyhedron. And that makes sense to me as well, because his character, he doesn't really, like, he wants to get the vaccine and save the people, but his reasoning is what he can do is he can get all the people and put them inside the Polyhedron, then raise the town, then relocate the people somewhere else, 
because he places zero value on the town, on its culture, on its you know heritage, all of and that. And the people stuff. who are already infected, He's yeah, like they're a lost cause. They're a lost cause because well, they kind of are to some extent. Um, well, no, but but this they're not, and that's I guess that's the distinction in their philosophies. The doctor's yeah. making a vaccine. The Harrisbeck's making is making a panacea. Yeah, because the 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 Harrisbeck's wants to save the town and the people in it. The doctor wants to prevent it getting any worse. Yeah, he wants to prevent it getting any worse, and he wants to preserve the scientific, artistic marvel that is the polyhedron, which I think he be- like near the end of the game. He probably values that more than the townsfolk. Can Can I clarify? So the doctor's like the thing that's take brought him to the town is this wish to conquer death. So are you saying that the doctor doesn't see any value in what people are saying about, you know, Simon being reincarnated as the soul of the polyhedron? I even get a thing on my map that shows kind of like a fetus inside the polyhedron. I don't know if that was appearing on your map. Yeah, the fetus doesn't appear. I see all these angles and like measurements and okay. stuff because it's oh, yeah because uh, i i thought his wish to conquer death might have fed into that but m- maybe maybe it just doesn't come into it yeah so like after i get letters from the power of being they're like if you can save the town we won't destroy your laboratory basically so okay i i i was tr- struggling with this the whole playthrough wondering exactly how much he cared about the people he was trying to save and how much it was just for personal gain um and like in a bunch of the quests you know there's definitely a human side to him he's not like a cold monster who only cares about his research all the time right but he's Mm. definitely colder than your character like there's degrees of coldness he's not a monster but you know he's not super charitable i don't think the harris seems like a pretty good guy honestly like i it's hard to it's hard it's difficult to pick out things he did that were wrong. I mean, you can certainly play him as a child murderer. Um, you know, you, you can, but you can also not. And it seems like the Bachelor's more um more of a nuanced character. He's got more going on. I'm kinda disappointed I didn't get to play him because I think I'd um I'd have enjoyed it more. Yeah, I think you would have story. enjoyed it. Yeah. But but I like that we have different perspectives. That's cool as well. Um, mm. should we should we talk about the um the secret endings? Yeah. So this is double. This is the double spoilers because there's secret endings that kind of throw the whole game on their head. Um, and I know we've already gone into spoilers, but like really, if you want to play this game, you should probably play it before listening to the secret ending discussion because it's pretty pretty large um so anyway um did you actually get the so what i did was i didn't i wasn't able to save everyone because you need to save. oh sorry so i got the first part of the secret ending because there's two um and you get the secret endings by saving the other people's bounds so if you save one set you get the first and if you save the second set, you get the second secret ending. So I reloaded my save and hacked myself in a bunch of schmouders so that I could experience it for the sake of review. Um, mm-hmm. But the second secret ending, 
Uh, you go and you meet with the powers that be, who are the people, I don't know if you interacted with them at all in your playthrough, but in the Bachelor's playthrough, you get these letters every day from, quote-unquote, the powers that be, that seem to be, you know, the people in charge of society the government, in right? general. Like, the government, you know, the people threatening to destroy a lab. Um... <laughs> And anyway, they're like, actually, we're here in town, we're in the polyhedron, so come to the polyhedron, go to the bottom floor, close your eyes for five seconds, and then open them and we'll be there. <laughs> so you do that, and you wake up in this, like, little garden with two children. <laughs> um, so, turns out that... Uh, we haven't spoken about this yet, but something that happens every day at midnight is that there's a theatre in the town, and if you go to the theatre at midnight, you get to see a mime performance that is somewhat prophetic in that it will sort of predict what's going to happen in the following days a little bit in some ways, but, you know, it's unclear. Um, but there's lots of, like... Meta-narrative elements Meta-narrative elements yeah. to the story. Yeah, like there's these... There's these characters that teach you the basics of how to play, but they're dressed up in theater costumes and they're who's in the mime performance. And there's people that seem to know more than they should. Uh, the third unlockable character just... Breaks the fourth wall constantly. Like breaks the fourth it, wall constantly, yeah. Um, yeah so, like, what, she knows how, what's going to happen. How did you feel about this, James? Because my response upon hearing about this is that um, I don't really care. Like, I, I think people get too attached and too involved with this final scene at the end of the game. It doesn't undermine any of the experience you've had in your past 20 hours. It doesn't take away from the story at all. I personally think it would have been better if it wasn't there, but I don't think it existing detracts from the rest of the experience. It's almost like a little easter egg at the end of the game and that's the end of my feelings on it it doesn't bother me i don't feel strongly about it one way or the other i kind of agree like i honestly would prefer if it wasn't there because like the the whole thing is that there are these two kids playing with their dolls in the sand and that's what the whole story is is just kids playing with their toys mm. um i don't i mean i guess i don't think it needed to be there i think that they could have made something more interesting like i think all the stuff with the play and like that having meta I, I i wish that there was the meta narrative stuff but it was unexplained i guess there's it reminded me of um there's a stephen king book called under the dome where all of a sudden in a town um a dome just appears over the over a town you can't get in or out it's completely invisible and the town kind of slowly falls to pieces not because of anything that's actively being done to them but just because of the effects that this is having on the town and it turns out it was you know some eldritch or alien presence um that set everything in in effect so it kind of reminded me of that there's like this bit of eldritch horror i, I mean i know it's kids in a sandpit but it's kind of similar but ultimately like I yeah, I, it doesn't bother me, but it doesn't need to be there. I don't think it adds anything to the uh, to the story really. Yeah. Um I hear they play it up a bit more in 2, um which I'm kind of interested in playing at some point I, if the writing's anywhere near. Absolutely. I I think that 
if it's well like if it's well done and better seeded throughout the entire story um it could be quite quite intriguing but it felt very tacked on at the end here yeah i kind of agree um we're pushing like two hours 15 minutes patrick i think it is time to go to final impressions um shall i begin yeah i think you should okay so um (laughs) I've heard a lot of things about Pathologic. The the way people describe this game, um, they're like, it's a bad game, but 10 out of 10 recommend, or um, it's the best bad game I've ever played. Um, I'm going to be very to the point here. Pathologic is a bad game and you should not play it. Over the past couple of hours, we have been waxing lyrically about just how brilliant the story is in Pathologic. The intertwined narrative, the characterization, the dialogue, the grim atmosphere that gets set. But in some ways, the fact that the majority of our discussion has been about the story is a type of misrepresentation of what the actual experience of playing Pathologic was like. And the reason I was so forceful when I talked about how bad the gameplay was is that that is what you are going to be doing for 90% of your time playing Pathologic. And because of that, because the vast majority of your experience is tedious and boring, I cannot recommend this game. And I think that Pathologic is a bad video game. If the survival mechanics were better implemented, if combat had more threat to it, if walking was faster or there was a sprint function, if the town was smaller so it didn't take forever to get from place A to place B, then maybe the gameplay could tip over the edge to the point where the story would justify you playing it. But most of your time playing this game is not going to be one feeling pressured or tense or engaged. It's one where you're going to be bored out of your brain. And a game that leaves you bored out of your brain is not one that I can ever recommend, regardless of how good the last 10 or 20% of the story is. So yeah, Pathologic, unfortunately, is a failure to me. And that breaks my heart. But the fact of the matter is, that is the truth of the Pathologic experience tedium. And any game that has tedium as its front and center experience is not a very good game. Pathologic has probably become one of my favorite games, I think. Everything Patrick said just before is absolutely correct. It is a miserable experience filled with obtuse, superstitious, and morally bankrupt characters, and its gameplay consists of little more than looking from point A to B for about 30 plus hours, literally watching paint dry. And despite this, it was a game that was constantly on my mind for the last four weeks or something. Like, I, when I wasn't playing Pathologic, I was thinking about Pathologic. It was all that I could think about for the past two weeks. The the characters, the story, um, all of the history that I dug up through, you know, even on the wikis and from the characters I was talking to. I have been utterly enraptured by this game's story and plot. Yes, I completely agree that the gameplay is terrible in a lot of ways, but I genuinely believe that this is one of the best stories that video games has to offer. Uh, and I would implore people listening to give it a try. Um, honestly, like if you can, if there's a if there's a mod that increases the speed of walking, absolutely. I I don't think you can get 
you know this is a game because this is a game that is told from so many different angles i feel like you can't get the same experience just by you know watching somebody play it or browsing wikis for hours i feel like you have to interact with the narrative to get to that good stuff so i think if you can play this game modded to reduce the amount of gameplay that you have to do then that would be the best way to experience this game and story um and i think it is absolutely worth it but yeah there are going to be some people who fucking hate this game and i really you know i can't disagree with them like i fully understand why they would hate it but to me the story is just so good that it was absolutely worth it from beginning to end there's probably some no clip command or god mode or something that you can turn on and just fly around and talk from person to person and the game is probably more enjoyable experience that way like it's hard right because the survival mechanics are important to reinforcing the atmosphere of dread and horror right like it's not it's not that there shouldn't be survival mechanics in a game like this i just think the execution is so poor that it's better off without them and that's that's really unfortunate because it's a really good example of how mechanics and well it should be a good example of how mechanics and storytelling can work in tandem but it it just doesn't work how 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 it should yeah it's like it's perfect on paper and then the actual implementation is very questionable so i i'm extremely interested in playing pathologic 2 because it's uh both a sequel and a remake of the first game like it's the same narrative just redone um so honestly like that's probably a better place to start but it's hard for me just to say guys play pathologic 2 it's probably better when i haven't played that game and i have played this game and i did get sucked in really hard so you know i at the end of the day i can recommend this game but it's probably going to be like one in a hundred thousand people is going to enjoy it the same you know to the same degree that i did in all honesty yeah i i just can't get behind this idea of a game it's my same problem with jrpgs like i can't get behind this idea of so much of the actual gaming experience being awful but you still recommending it on the basis of the 20 percent of experience being really good like I I get that that part is really good. I agree with that. But the truth is, most of the time, it's a bad experience. So let let's be let's be honest about the about what you're going to spend the majority of your time doing. Like if you read a good book, probably eighty to ninety percent of that really good book is enjoyable. This is like a book or a movie where only twenty percent of it is is really good. Yeah, but, like, when I think back on Pathologic, I can only remember the good stuff, right? Like, you can obviously remember that you walked around for 40 hours, but it all, you know, it all sits in this little box in my mind. I don't, you know, every time I think about walking around in Pathologic, the whole 40 hours unravels in my mind. That No, it's not like that. It's I remember all the good stuff, so I have the rest of my life to think about this incredible story, so... <laughs> That, like, 30 hours investment, I'm happy to give that up. Okay, yeah, see, I, 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 and you're right, and I think this is a problem that a lot of people have when they talk about these things that they like. They, they remember the things they like and they dismiss the things they don't like out of hand. I'm not saying you're wrong and that the experience wasn't, 
worthwhile for you. I get that. It's just hard for me to get behind that. I, I, I just can't. That That's just not how I feel. And that's why I despise grinding in these games and games wasting my time. Because I don't think the experience is worth that time investment. There are movies and books and other video games that are enjoyable for their entire duration. So I'd rather engage with that media or I'd rather engage with that than something that's only good for such a small percentage of its playtime. Patrick, if you can recommend me a game with a story this good, with good gameplay, I am all ears. Um... (laughs) Honestly, it's just one of the better ones that I've encountered. Yeah, I I agree. I I just um, I, it doesn't matter how good it is, man. It's just not worth the pain. And I guess that's just the difference between between us. Yeah, two. yeah. Alrighty, I I'd say that's about it. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening to us talk about Pathologic. Hopefully, you were able to follow what we were saying. Um, if you've never played the game before, it was certainly an experience, and I think a good game to play for the podcast, regardless of how. Um, you know, we ultimately feel about it. Um, James and I make up the Retrospectives podcast. You can find all of our content on our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got links to all of our episodes, all of our articles. Um, we're available on anywhere you listen to the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, wherever. Um, most importantly of all, we would love if you would drop by and tell us what you think on our Discord server. Our Discord server is where we get most of our community interaction, whether it's talking about old games, new games. Um, we take game recommendations. Uh, and we'd we'd love to hear what you think. What was your experience like playing Pathologic? Was it different to ours? And um, is Pathologic 2 actually worth playing? Would I Would I find it or would James find it a better experience than the first? We would love to hear. So yeah, thank you once again for listening. Um, it's been a blast. All right, James. So I picked Pathologic. Um, interestingly enough, I don't regret picking Pathologic because even if the game was awful, it was definitely um, an interesting topic to discuss. Uh, so I, I'm glad I picked it. Um, what what are we doing next fortnight? Okay, well... Um... That was a big marathon of a game that I got like a third of the way through. Um, So I think we can go for something a little shorter, a little more bite-sized. So I'm going to pick Star Fox 64, also known in some regions as Lilac Wars. Um, We haven't really played an on-rails shooter before, Patrick. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I never owned this game as a kid, but I always played it at my friends' houses, and I think I played it on an emulator a couple of times. Um, and I always remember really enjoying the first, like, hour of playing it, so uh, looking forward to giving it a go. Bit bit, bit different to uh, this game. So yeah, I'm I'm looking forward... This is a game I've always been intrigued in. I've never played Star Fox 64. I've seen all the memes in regards to it, but but that's about it. Well, very, very old, old-fashioned meme, do a barrel roll. That's that's like a vintage meme before people knew what they were doing. Uh, but outside of that, never played it, but intrigued to try. Haven't done a rail shooter since Pokemon Snap, so should be fun. Yeah, yeah it's a sequel episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should also mention that James and I are also beginning a playthrough of Fallout 2. Um, we had Chris from the Retro Asylum podcast on our show Um uh, a few months back and we played through fallout one and we're going to go do the sequel on um, the retro asylum podcast which should be a lot of fun but we've picked some short episodes so that we have time to properly play and finish 
Fallout 2. So we highly recommend you check them out. Their their stuff is great. It's very entertaining. Um, they tend to do games a little bit older than ours, probably probably like uh it's more like 90s and even late 80s video games, which is quite interesting. Tends to be a bit earlier than our time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, to going on our show and playing some Fallout 2. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping that it's going to be better than Fallout 1. I really <laughs> didn't like that game and committing another lot of hours to... Um... <laughs> Honestly, I found Pathologic more fun to play than Fallout 1. So, you know, Jeez. that's saying something um i am going to make a dex character this time around because <laughs> the first time uh i made a strength character and i had like four agility because i hadn't realized that the action economy was based around the agility stat uh so i had like three action points could like move not attack in the same turn that was good so i'm gonna make i'm gonna make a 10 dex character this time around i'm gonna break that action economy wide open hopefully i have a much better time i i have a suspicion we're all going to do that after <laughs> after hearing the experiences quite funny so but yeah it, it should be a lot of fun i'm um i'm eager to see if it improves on the first or if we start to see the first corruption of the grim world it'll be interesting to see which direction it goes in so um, the beginning is very painful yeah so we'll see you next fortnight for star fox 64 and please do check out the retro asylum podcast in about a month where we'll be playing fallout 2 thanks for listening everyone